We've, uh, we've entitled this training Bridging the Gap, and um, I want to close with just a, a little um, explanation about how God bridges the gap for us. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, um, the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed, and that in their um, innocence and in their connection with God and with, with one another, there was no fear. There was no self-defense. There was no... Um, Uh, shame or sense of inadequacy, that when Adam and Eve looked at one another, they took complete delight in each other's strengths and weaknesses because they felt so connected that there was no sense of judgment. Um, One of the questions um, that I got was, how do you define judgment? And and what what I, I would say is that judgment is our tendency to want to think about things in terms of right and wrong, in terms of good and bad, in terms of better than or worse than, particularly when it comes to relationships, to think that, and many people live in a world where they're better than or worse than others. But in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a sense of equality, had a sense of connection, had a sense of oneness, to the point that when Adam saw Eve for the first time, he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like, you are me. Isn't that great? And really, it's the, it's the feeling that God wants us to feel with Him and with each other. He wants us to see ourselves in the eyes of others and to have no sense of comparison that allows us to make a, a determination of relative worth. It is not judgment to say that someone is an alcoholic. If, they've got, if they meet the criteria for alcoholism, you're not judging them. You're just stating a fact. But you can hold them in disdain because they're an alcoholic, and that's judgment. If you assign value to them based on their struggle, that's judgment. In the Garden of Eden, God says, hey, you guys can eat of any tree you want. It's all there for you. But one tree you must not eat. What was that tree? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. I call it the tree of judgment. Because it wasn't that they couldn't say, oh, I like the peach you like the apple. I mean, they could have preferences. They could tell if something was not ripe enough or too ripe or had a worm crawling in it. You know, they could tell whether something was good or bad in that sense. But they, didn't, they weren't tempted to assign judgment, especially when it came to each other. <clears throat> what we know about infants is that when they first come into the world, infants feel so connected to mom in the bonding stage that they feel no sense of separateness. And so... If you have a little girl or a little boy, they, they may run around naked, just no shame at all. Um, they may see that mommy's body is more developed and more beautiful than the little girl's body, or daddy's body is more developed and strong than the little boy's body. But there's no shame because in that connection, if mommy is beautiful, I'm beautiful. If daddy is strong, I am strong. And the, the, the desire for God with all of us is that we experience his nearness, his affection for us so much that his glory is our glory. His greatness is ours. His strength is accessible to us. Not only that, in the body of Christ, He wants us to feel so connected that we can revel in each other's strengths. We can delight in in one another's uh, beauty or knowledge. And we can bear with one another in our weaknesses because we are all in this together. We are all the same. And that's the Garden of Eden experience that Adam and Eve had handed them on a silver platter but which we must cultivate. And in our effort in bringing people into a relationship of healing, we want to cultivate that Garden of Eden experience in a sense 
where you can be naked and unashamed, where you can bring it all in the light without fear. Well, what happened for Adam and Eve, and, and uh, Michael's going to do the, the PowerPoint or the uh, keynote for me. Maybe, hopefully we'll be able to do it. But we've been talking about how in the Garden of Eden, um, this gap that we're talking about, and just um, click, the, uh, click the thing again, um, the gap, we, we drew a line on the board early on, which will appear on the screen, I think, any minute. There it is. Um, just keep kind of clicking uh, through this. Um, that represents what ought to be. And in the garden, that's all there was. Everything was ideal. Everything seemed perfect. What ought to be and the ideal was their experience day by day by day. But for us, we're proposing that there's another line, which will show up at the bottom of the screen in just a moment, that, um, that is, the, uh, is what is. It's the real. Um, and when Adam and Eve began to listen to a voice other than the voice of God, what happened is that they began to experience a little bit of a gap between what they believed to be true and what they thought might actually be true. The enemy started whispering into this gap and saying to, um, to Eve, um, what if God is selling you a bill of goods? He says, is it really true you can't eat of any tree in the garden? You can stop now. Um, you can't eat of any tree in the garden. And, and Eve is like, oh, no, that's ridiculous. Of course we can eat of any tree, but one tree we can't eat of, we can't even touch it or we'll die. Okay, so the enemy introduces a little bit of doubt. He kind of takes her off guard and starts thinking, well, maybe I've been wrong about some things. And as that gap begins to widen, she begins to experience more and more sense of frustration and sense of uncertainty until eventually she ends up partaking of the tree. And then um, things get really interesting. It's in the gap, we said earlier, that we experience frustration, disappointment, hurt, sadness, and grief. And if you'll click it again, I think what, what will happen is it says unresolved grief will lead to shame. Um, if we cannot bring our, our grief into relationship with others, if we hold it within, it will eventually cause us to believe that we are inadequate, inept, um, and that, that we have, have to cover up, we have to hide. And sure enough, when, Ad, when Eve ate the tree... And she gave it to Adam, and he ate. The first thing the Bible tells us is that their eyes were opened, and they were what? They were shamed. They felt shame. Immediately, they were compelled to take action, because shame, we know, is the most powerful negative emotion that humans have. And we will do almost anything to avoid it. At the heart of shame is alienation. Go ahead and click on that again, Mike. Oh, yeah, this, that was the serpent. Sorry, the serpent um, uh, was the one that, that introduced the gap and started them doubting. And so when they ate, when they listened to the serpent and ate, that's when they experienced shame. Click again. Um, at the heart of shame, and you see the, the A there, at the heart of shame is alienation. Anybody ever read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne? I had to read it in eighth grade, I think, or sometime. But at the heart of shame is alienation. That red letter A in the, in, the, in the book, Scarlet Letter, the A stood for adultery because Hester Prynne, the main uh, protagonist in the, in the story, um, got pregnant. And she it was either, I think she was single or her husband was away. I can't remember which, but she shouldn't have gotten pregnant. And she was. 
So it was very clear to the community that she had committed adultery, and so they made her wear a scarlet letter A. Many people that come to you, many of you in this room, have always kind of felt like you were wearing a scarlet letter A, that there was something defective, like the woman whose father had committed suicide, that alienated you from others, that made you feel defective or less than. Guilt is about what we do. Shame is about who we are. And what Adam and Eve did right away when they felt shame and alienation from God and each other was what? Does anybody remember the first action that they took? Click on it again, Michael. They covered up. They started sewing fig leaves together. The very parts of their body that God had designed to bring them together in the most intimate and delightful way were the very parts of their body that they felt compelled to cover up. And when we feel alienation, ironically, the very parts of our souls and our, our bodies and our minds, our spirits that we cover up, are the things that distinguish us when, from others, even if those things are good and God-given. We cover up. Because we don't want people to see our, our defectiveness or our, our sense of inadequacy, we do all kinds of maneuvers to keep them from seeing. When I was a kid, I was no good at sports, and so I covered up by being good academically and learning to draw, did all kinds of things to, to keep other people from seeing those things that brought me shame. So cover-up is the first thing that we do. However, fig leaves wither, and they're itchy. Ever try to wear fig leaves? I tried it one time just for fun, you know, like, wonder what that was like. You don't want to do that. It's not a good cover-up. So, so fig leaves... Fig leaves don't work. God will block us in our attempts to avoid our shame because he knows that avoiding it is not the answer. What was the next thing they did after they sewed the fig leaves together? Anybody know? They hid. They withdrew. They hid from God's presence in the trees of the garden. Now, it's kind of a dumb thing to do, really. What? Try to hide from God? Huh? Kind of. But, you know, we do dumb things when we're filled with shame. And we, we move away from relationship when we feel shame. We withdraw from those very people that could help us in our shame. We withdraw from the, our, the source. Um, and so Adam and Eve hid. But God went after him. He called him out. He says, Adam, where are you? He called him out. He wouldn't let him get away with it. And Adam says, I was afraid because I'm naked. Fear had entered in through shame. And so he withdrew from God. But God's calling him out. Well, what does Adam do next? Once he realizes the cover-up ain't going to cut it, withdrawing ain't going to work, what's the next thing he does? What does he say? He blames. Click, there we go. He blames. He says, this woman that you gave me, it's her fault. No, it's your fault. You gave her to her, right? We point the finger of blame. We judge others when we feel shame. Because it's so important for us to point the finger elsewhere, to get the attention off of us. If we can blame someone else, we will do it. Well, that doesn't work either. And God says, Adam, let me tell you, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to toil. And the seed that you sow will yield, the, the ground will yield tares or weeds instead of good fruit. So then God turns to Eve. And what does she do? She does something that sounds a little bit like what Adam did, but I'm going to propose has a different intent. What does Eve say? The serpent deceived me. I didn't know any better. I'm weak. I'm helpless. I'm dumb. I didn't know any better. It's kind of like saying, but officer, I didn't see the sign. You know? Ever do that? You know? It's not my fault. Go ahead and click on it again if you would, Michael. There we go. We excuse ourselves. We justify ourselves 
based on our experience, what do you expect? Well, I'm not a touchy-feely person. Well, I didn't grow up that way. Well, I didn't know. I didn't see. And on the day of judgment, what's the, what's the, the, the response that the sheep and the goats are going to make to God? Make to God. We didn't see. When did we see you? We didn't see you sick or naked or unclothed uh, or, or in prison. Um, we're going to justify ourselves. And this defense against shame is the most pernicious defense of all. Because in letting ourselves off the hook, we flee from grace. We have been justified by grace. When we justify ourselves, we remove ourselves from grace. And God will not have it. So, so none of these maneuvers work. And at the end of the day, God deals with their shame. And he does it in a very powerful way. He provides for them coverings made of skins. Where do you think those skins came from? Animals. Animals that had to be willing to lay down their life for Adam and Eve. Now, I think Adam and Eve had a very special bond with these animals. And if Eve was having a conversation with a serpent, she'd probably talk into the dogs and the deer too, right? Don't you think? If she could have a conversation with a serpent, she probably had some good communion with the sheep too. So whether it was a sheep or a deer, I believe that with Adam and Eve watching on, God called for a couple of his beloved creatures to come and lay down their life. And you can imagine how Adam and Eve must have felt. No, no, wait. Don't kill them. Kill us. We did wrong. But God says, no, hold your peace because I'm the only one that can deal with this problem. And and Adam and Eve learned a very powerful message that day, and that is that the ones that are in your care, that God puts in your care, are the ones that will suffer if you do wrong. Isn't that sad? That the people that will be harmed most by your failure to honor God will be the people who look to you for protection, for love, for compassion and support. So sad. But God is willing, even when we blow it, to make a, uh, to make a way for us. Go ahead and click it again. On that day when those animals were sacrificed, God was foreshadowing an event that would happen much later. An event in which the Lamb of God, Jesus, on the cross, would deal once and for all for our shame. In that moment, God gave them coverings of skin to cover them in their nakedness, to make it safe to walk in a world of thorns. It was no longer safe to be naked in a world where exploitation and judgment, where disdain or contempt were possible. They had to cover up their weak and vulnerable spots. They had to wear coverings on their feet so that they would not get, get step on the thorns. But, but that event was a foreshadowing of God's eventual full-fledged commitment to deal with our shame. The Bible says that Jesus on the cross endured the shame for the joy set before him. Um, Some translators say he shamed the shame. He was willing to be hung naked. With his hands nailed, he could not cover up. His feet were nailed. He would not withdraw or run away. He would not point the finger and blame, and he would not justify himself even though he was without fault. In that action, Jesus bridged the gap between the ideal and the real. He came and stood in the gap for us and led the way for all of us that we would no longer live in cover-up, in withdrawal, in blame, in justifying. Are you all good for seven and a half to ten more minutes? I want to finish this if if it's okay. Okay. 
when, we come, when, we, when someone comes to us, they're very often overwhelmed with shame. They're very often at the lowest point, and they need some other way of being in relationship. And you get to do for them what God invited Adam and Eve to do, to set aside their cover-up, the withdrawal, their blaming and their justifying, and to be still and let Him provide the, the answer. There's a, there's a parable in the... Um, in the, in the New Testament that I referred to earlier briefly about the prodigal son. In the parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal son shamed his father by asking for his inheritance before his father was dead. He shamed the community by going off and living riotous living and shamed himself as a Jew by feeding pigs. He got to the point where no one would give him anything. And at his lowest moment, God shows up and brings him to his senses. And he says something very clearly. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. And in that little, little, little talk, that little message that he rehearsed and said to his father when he got home, are the elements that we all need to move against our maneuvers to avoid shame. The first one, instead of covering up, God invites us to get up. If you'll click that. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, sorry, I forgot. Um, God, God shows grace in our shame, and that's what we, we experience at the cross. We find grace. Um, but, but what the, uh, uh, the prodigal son learned was that he could get up, he could arise, he could stop doing what he was doing and choose a different way to set aside his cover-up, to set aside the things he was clinging to to make himself feel better. He was going to get up and leave it all behind. Second thing, he says, I will go to my father. I'm going to show up. Instead of withdrawing, I'm going to enter into a relationship. I'm going to engage with somebody who can help me to deal with my shame. Third thing, he says, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Instead of blaming everybody else, instead of me playing the victim, I'm going to fess up. I'm going to confess my wrongdoing. Then he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to re-up. I'm going to... Sign up as a servant. I'm going to relate in a different way than I have before. Not out of entitlement, not out of justification. I'm going to sign up uh, for what God has for me. Um, We have a loving father like that prodigal son, and he invites us to this. If the heart of shame was alienation, then the heart of grace is affection. We talked first thing today about how deeply God cares for every one of you how deeply he cares from everyone that you will meet, how much he loves them and how much he wants to overcome their shame with his grace. And that we invite them to connect, to confess, to course correct and to to conviction. We're asking them to believe the unbelievable, that God loves us in our darkest moments. In our deepest need, he is there and he is willing to go to whatever lengths he has to do to reclaim what has been lost, to invite us into relationship with him where we can be in relationship with God, naked and unashamed. We have no fear with God. Perfect love casts out fear. And he has that perfect love for every one of us and invites us to grow in loving him. As the flow of grace enters into our life, as we stop avoiding shame, as we stop covering up and withdrawing and blaming and excusing, we find that, that Shame begins to dissipate and that the, the, the alienation is replaced with affection and what we're left with is shh, me. 
And those old voices of shame, the old voices of, of rejection and just judgment and condemnation become quieter and quieter in the flow of grace. And as we enter into it, we experience more and more healing. Listen up. You think I'd have it down by now Been practicing for 30 years I should have walked a thousand miles So what am I still doing here, yeah Reaching out for that same old piece of forbidden fruit I slip and fall and I knock my halo loose Somebody tell me what's a boy supposed to do I get so clumsy I get so foolish I get so stupid And then I feel so useless But you're saying you love me And you're still gonna hold me And that you wanna be near me Cause you're making me holy Still making me holy yeah. I'm gonna get you right this time I'll be strong and I'll make you proud Pray that prayer a thousand times The rooster crows and my tears roll down Remind me you made me from the dust And I can never, no, never be good enough And that you're not gonna let that come between us Cause I get so clumsy I get so foolish I can get so stupid And then I feel so useless But you're saying you love me And you're still gonna hold me And that you wanna be near me Cause you're making me holy Still making me holy Yeah Oh, where I stand Your holiness is I'm so high I can never reach it oh. My only hope is to fall on Jesus Cause I get so clumsy And I get so foolish so stupid sometimes And then I feel so useless But you're saying you love me And you're still gonna hold me Glad you wanna be near me Cause you're making me holy I get so clumsy And I get so foolish Oh, I can get so stupid And then I feel so useless But you're saying you love me Let's, um, let's just close out our time with a, um, a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your affection, which is beyond belief. That in our deepest depravity, in our greatest grief, that you are present, that you care, and that you are perfectly willing and able to take us right where we are, that indeed you've already provided everything we need for life and for godliness. You've provided everything we need 
to live a life of abundance and peace, to find joy and freedom. God, forgive us for our efforts to avoid our pain and our shame through covering up, through withdrawing, through through blaming or excusing or justifying. Forgive us for doubting you as Adam and Eve did and finding ourselves completely at loose ends when when we try to make it on our own. God, I pray for every one of us in this room that today we would experience a fresh wave of grace. That we would know your invitation to a life worth living. That we would feel you connect with us. That, you would, that we would confess to you all that there is to there. And that we would look to you for a course correction and for the conviction that would allow us not to follow after the law, but to follow after Jesus, the one who embodies all that is good, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is tender and true. God, we want to be like him. God, in this model of development that we've looked at today, Lord, I just pray that for every person here, that, it, that they would, as they look at it, that it would help them to see where they are in their journey and what is up for them in the realm of faith, in the realm of, of growth, in connection, in releasing, in yielding, in pursuit, that in all things, we would trust you to take us to that next step. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus. We lift all these things to you in his precious name. Amen. Okay, I'm sorry I went over. Um, I uh, want to make sure that those of you who need the, the continuing education certificate, you be sure and ter- fill, in the, fill out the uh, survey for that. If any of you have feedback that you want to give us just about the flow of things or, or whatever, if there are questions, we will be uh, covering a lot more material as we go along. Um, we will give everyone a certificate that wants one at the end, but these certificates for today are for those who need this, the continuing education units for LPC and for the other things that, that Carol talked about earlier. Um, thank you for your attention. Thank you for being here. Um, I pray that God will, will bring life to all that you've learned and that he will use it to bless you and make you a blessing. Peace. Sure. You're welcome.